Well, you know, two years anniversary service today, we're also finishing out Ephesians chapter 1, which means we got to run through four verses to finish out the chapter. But they're an amazing four verses. It talks about the immeasurable greatness of God. And so that's awesome. We, we get to talk about a lesson today where we just talk about how great God is. And that's what we want to talk about here in Bend, Oregon, as we share our faith, just how great our God is. And the only, that's kind of how we work in it, is that God needs us to tell other people how great our God is. We're more motivated to share that when we really know how great he is. So if you turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is right in the middle of a prayer for us to know Jesus better, to know the hope of our calling, to know our glorious inheritance, and to know, we start reading in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It doesn't get more immeasurable than that, greater than that. Paul is just exhausting all of his vocabulary on the might and the strength and the authority and the supremacy of Christ right here. But then the, the crazy thing is, is we're just so humbled by this passage. It says, towards us who believe and to the church, that we get to be included in God's claim here. Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. You know, as we dive in here, I want to answer a few questions. Just where does Paul's prayer actually end in Ephesians? Because he started praying, and then later on, it's like, it doesn't seem like he's praying anymore. And then chapter 3, he's like, and now I'm praying this. Wait, where did he start? Where did he stop? We want to talk about that in his style. Or at least where the narration of Paul's praying ends. But beyond that, can we... Can we even grasp the immeasurable? Because Paul is praying that we know something here. He's praying that we know the immeasurable. Can we even grasp that? And then, again, because it's towards us who believe and to the church, how does that resurrection power apply to us today? What do we do with that when we're humbled before the greatness of God? Well, really quick, I think it's awesome, Paul, 2 Corinthians 2.17. I'll go ahead and let you read this if you like or you want to turn there, but I'll just mention that Paul says, hey, I'm a man of sincerity. I've been commissioned by God to speak for Christ and, and speak before Christ. We see this in Paul's letters later on, 2 Corinthians 4.2. I have that on the same slide. Same thing, he says that he writes, he doesn't want to use cunning or tricks, but he's writing to us in the sight of God. So if we back up a slide and we look at Ephesians 1 again, maybe the prayer ends there in verse 22 where he goes, and, 
Maybe he transitions out of it, but maybe for Paul, just writing and teaching us in the sight of God, maybe he's just in sync. So to pray to God and to teach us in the sight of God, it's essentially the same thing. Maybe it doesn't have to transition out of it. Maybe it should encourage us to pray without ceasing. As much as Paul, he's praying here that he wants us to know this stuff. I keep being reminded that this is a prayer I should be praying almost every day. Thinking about almost every day. So I don't know where Paul ends his prayer. But I do know, man, Paul is so in sync with Jesus. You ever think about that? He's like, I'm like, where does... Paul's works end, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the good work of the Lord, begin. It's like that boundary is almost torn down. Paul's in sight of God. He's in sync. So I don't think that the prayer needs an ending. So how in sync can we be? If that's Paul, yeah, we get it. Paul is great. He's an apostle. He's super in sync. He, he knows this stuff. Well, how in sync can we be with it if we're praying this? Can we grasp the immeasurable greatness, the power of his great might? He's far above all. He's head over all things. Let's just talk about that for a while in praise and worship of Jesus. What does that mean to be that powerful, that mighty? It's just employing everything he can say to, hey, this is the God we can know. And yet, this is how unfathomable he is. His power, his strength, his might. Over in Ephesians, a couple other quick references. This is some of the authorities that Christ is above. Ephesians talks about spiritual authorities a lot, but beginning in chapter 2, it says, The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Christ is above that power. Three tenths, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And Christ is above that power. And chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Christ is above that. Christ has authority over that, over the cosmos. This is the Lord of the universe. And what does the Lord of the universe do? He says, hey, towards you who believe. you got to know this, that you're a part of his plan. No one is going to trump God. Amen? Amen. No one's going to trump him. The head over the church now, I love it that uh, Christ first humbled himself, right? We read in Philippians chapter 2. And then God honored that humility. He honored Christ, lowering himself to the position of a servant, to give him a name above every name, to make him supreme, to make him the head of the church, seated at his right hand, co-leader, the head of the church. Then you get that phrase at the end of Ephesians, which is a tricky one, but we're going to work through it in our sermon covering the whole end of Ephesians. About the fullness of Christ, filling all in all. The 
fullness of Christ filling all in all, filling the whole universe. And yet it's crazy, we're the body of Christ. Christ fills the whole universe, and in another way, we're the fullness of him, because we're building up his body, the church. So there's a lot of, lot of fullness going on. You think of Ephesians 4, 10 through 12, says, he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So there's that filling. And there he's talking about equipping for service and ministry. That, hey, this, this fullness, we're a part of that. We're in that plan. That's kind of a breathtaking destiny right there, isn't it, for us as Christians? And man, to think of this incredibly powerful God to say, I want to work through redeemed sinners that are transformed by my grace in my plan. God wants to see that come true, amen? And again, that's where I go back. I'm like, wait. I thought this is all to God's glory, so I, I don't want to, how am I a part of that? I, I can't do anything to glorify God. Like, why does he insert us into Ephesians chapter 1? This should just all be about him. He says, no, man, I, I need you. That humbles me. Remember verses 11 and 14 in Ephesians 1. It keeps talking about his inheritance. That's us, God's chosen people. His possession that will glorify him. So yeah, even though we're, we're his inheritance, his possession, his people, a part of his plan, it is all going to the glory of God. We can't do, man, I'm not going to do a lot for God's plan without the power of God, amen? I just want to be humbled right there. So how... How does it apply to us now that we give that disclaimer to, hey, this is all power of God? How does God intend for his power to work through us? So if we, again, if we humble ourselves, if we put ourselves aside, God wants his power to work through us, that resurrection power. How does that apply to us? We know that he resurrected God. Well, you already see me having a slide up here, Ephesians 2. <laughs> 1 through 10, if we just keep reading, he talks about how the resurrection power is applied to us. If you like big chunks of scripture, then here's a big chunk of scripture. <laughs> here's the us part, what God did for us in that power. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is so cool. All of us were here, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you cannot be raised, resurrected to a new life apart from the power and grace of God. That's what he's saying right there. We've already referenced like every chapter of Ephesians and like pretty much read a whole chapter. We're going here on the greatness of God. Man, we all tasted that power when we were raised to new life, right? You remember that? And even remember now today, you know that feeling? of Christ transforming you from the inside out, that's the resurrection power he's talking about. That's what he's working in us. It took that power to give us a believing heart in the first place. Man, it takes that power for us to be renewed day by day. It takes that power to raise us to a new life. Amen? I'm excited for Mike today. Power of God is going to be raised out of the water, not just a bubble bath in the river down here, amen. <laughs> but by God's grace. Again, how does that power work in our life? So, okay, it, it transforms us from the inside out. It gives us this new life. Well, Paul prays in his other epistles, especially in Colossians, where again he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, but. He mentions specifically how this power works through us. And again, I'm humbled because I'll admit I had a tempting thought once and like, I want the power of God to work through me. That sounds pretty cool. But it doesn't exactly work that way. I think the people who go, I want this cool thing to work through me actually don't really have the power of God working through them. And we see that play out here. Colossians chapter 1, 27 through 29. Ask you this as you feel that transforming day after day. Consider if you felt it in this way. Actually, I'll even start. I do have it on the slide here. Ephesians 3 19 through 20. Paul wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Alright, so the power of God, it's to glorify God. We know that truth from that passage. And also, man, working in us to do more than we can think or imagine. I just say, I don't think we can be very effective in the Christian life apart from the power of God. All right, Colossians 1, 9 through 11, he says another prayer. We have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. All right, so we can be strengthened by this power. It can give us endurance. It can bring us joy. 
But it's, it's endurance to go through suffering, not to, to bypass suffering in this life. So I kind of go, oh man, I, I thought I was going to have the power of God. You mean I'm, I'm going to suffer even though I got the power of God? Yeah. <laughs> That's where a lot of his power is going to be revealed, by your joy and endurance in the suffering. Okay, God. Okay. With patience and endurance. Man, have you felt that power in times of suffering? Looked back and go, man, I don't know how I made it through those days, but I have the power of God. Well, it continues down verse 27 through 29. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we may present... Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Oh man, this verse says that I'm going to struggle. God's, God's power, this energy working within me, it says I'm going to toil and struggle. So when you hear a brother or sister say, man, I'm struggling today, you can go, power God is working within you, <laughs> energizing you. That's awesome. <laughs> and God teaches us through struggles, amen? So that all sounds exciting, right? Suffering, toil, struggling. Are we excited about that? But that is in the midst of God working his power within us. His power doesn't exempt us from those things. His power can help inspire us and ennoble us towards those things. Struggling through with the power of God. Can you have that exciting picture? Like, sign me up, the struggle, the toil. I'll be joyful through it. Here I am, send me. And do you still want to be a part of God's plan if it means the struggle and the toil and the suffering and Him empowering you through that? Can be tempted to go well, like how much power God like how much is working through me and God gives it all when it comes to his resurrection power he gave his whole self was willing to lose his life so that we could gain life and ultimately God's plan is going to succeed he's going to have the victory if we fail if we struggle if we're awesome at his plan if we're willing to fail and try again God's going to have the victory at the end of the day. We can be assured of that. And I'll give you one more detail to his power. I'm just hoping all of this humbles us, right? The same way that Christ humbled himself to be in that position of authority. Like, it's humbly going into toil, struggle, suffering. I'll give you one more than sacrifice. Mike and I were talking the other day. With no sacrifice, there's no commitment. It's the great insight Mike gave me. And it's true, yet another prayer from Paul. When Paul says he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, he says it's going to count everything as loss, sacrifice it all, because Christ is of supreme worth. And that's a humbling place. And it's Paul saying he, he wants to know that power, that same thing he's talking about in Ephesians 1, the power of his resurrection. In order to know it, he's got to count everything as loss, sacrifice. 
got to humble himself. God honors humbling. Enabling Paul to write these words, enabling right before this Philippians 2, Jesus who humbled himself to take that ultimate position of authority, to be exalted above every name. So I don't think Jesus or Paul were, were seeking this power, right? We shouldn't seek after this power. It, it's rather, man, in gratitude, God is even willing to work through us with this power. That by his grace, we want to do the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. A humble position. Humility allows us to be on that plane. Pride will barricade us from knowing Christ's plane. Pride will barricade us from discipleship, stifling. Humility can bring us into it and bring us closer to God. So being a part of God's plan, that first glimpse is like, yeah, I want to have the power of God. I want to plan on just having that power. Okay, then how are you planning to sacrifice your life? How are you planning to struggle and toil and have joy in the midst of it? Because you are knowing God, his glory, his grace. That's all got to be a part of the plan, too. Toward us and the church. You know, if we don't have that, that humility, if we don't know what we're going to sacrifice, how we're planning to lose our life, lose our distractions, lose our pride, we're going to miss it. And I don't think he wants us to miss it, because it's towards us who believe and towards the church. Let's talk about that link. Towards us who believe, head over all things to the church. That's humbling. God, what do you mean to the church? What do you mean to us who believe? The church is at the heart of God's great plan. The undivided attention of the Lord of the cosmos is to the church, going, hey, you're my body? Are you going to act out what the head wants? What are we going to do here? It's a humbling position to be that we have that audience. Christ bought the church with his own blood. It's an example of sacrifice and love. That means the relationships in this room, person on your right, person on your left, we, if we're not humbled, if we're not unified, man, being the church, that's what we need to be on this plan. And imagine that. That means the person on your left, the person on your right, are central to God's plan. That makes up the church. Yeah. Sometimes we can annoy each other, right? Sometimes we're messy people. Sometimes we're a little bit broken. I am often. Sometimes I don't believe in myself very much, but God believes in us, we can be a part of his plan. Choosing to work through us. That's God's A team. Doesn't have the plan B. Church's plan A. You and those beside you, humbled by his grace. Amen? Mm -hmm. 
So I, I think about that. I don't want to stress it too much because this you know, scripture is about the head more than the body. But the body is the actor of the head. That Ephesians 4, we're building the body up, equipping each other for these good works, works of service. And so as a body, are we acting out what the head wants? Allowing his power to work through us. If he's giving us that undivided attention as the Lord of the universe, are we willing to give our attention back to him? As an ending note here, and just reflecting on, I say ending note, but get ready for a little bit of reflection on two years being here as an anniversary in Bend, Oregon. I think about God's plan, I think about everything he's taken so far, coming these two years, and everybody in this room, it takes courage. It takes courage to be here today, to gather. It took courage two years ago to move out here, to say, here I am, send me, when there's only one person going, three persons going, four, five, six, okay. It takes courage to, to start a new job, new career, to, to find a new home, move to a new city. It takes courage to be a part of God's plan, and courage is calling us going forward for the next two years of Ben Oregon. We can take courage because God is working through us. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage is calling. And I think if we, if we pray Paul's prayer to know Jesus better, we can know the bravery that God wants us to have to answer that call of courage. So man, all those blessings in Ephesians 1, we're sitting on the lottery ticket. We just need the courage to cash it in. That really, his power and his greatness, power and greatness aside, just that relationship with him, just being in Christ and blessing enough right there. We courageous enough to say, hey, I want to have this relationship with God going forward. I want others to have that. Aristotle has this quote that a builder builds and thus becomes a builder. And he continues the quote to say that a builder builds. This is how he becomes a builder. You must take courage to become courageous. And when, when you look back, whether it was two years ago that you moved here to Bend, or just the, the past courageous things you've done in your life, when you look back, you kind of realize it didn't really require that much courage, right? You're like, oh yeah, I, I got through that. When I was a kid, I was afraid of heights. I, I built a treehouse 50 feet up, and it was like, okay, one nail at a time, hugging the tree. I know, I don't know how I, how I avoided the lawsuit, but I got up there. <laughs> had all the neighborhood kids hammering away, and slowly, courage conquering that fear, becoming a father. Super afraid. <laughs> Did not know how that one was going to be accomplished. Starting a church, getting married, dating Madison. Think in your life of those courageous moments, and, and looking back, you realize, wow, I actually had a powerful God. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was, right? God wants to ennoble us by his great power 
to take courage and participate in his plan. In 1901, Teddy Roosevelt hesitated. You know, he, he's a guy, he was rather impulsive, he cowboyed around at times, and he thought of inviting Booker T. Washington to the White House, a historic meeting. But as he went to write the letter, he, he hesitated because he suddenly realized, what would this mean for my Southern family? What would this mean for my constituents, the politicians? What would this mean, members of Congress, members of family, the political backlash? And he hesitated. Then a sense of shame overcame him, and because he hesitated, he realized that it's exactly what he should do, so he sent the letter quickly. Maybe you've done that, sending a quick text to a, a text you were hesitant about. And there was a backlash. For the next 30 years, he was slandered. People tried to rewrite history, say that the meeting didn't happen. And on Booker T. Washington's part, responding and coming to dinner, he wrote in his diary something similar, that he hesitated, and then because he hesitated, he knew that it is exactly what he should have done. Precisely what he should have done was take courage when hesitating. That dinner that established, that dinner, that landmark event for equality, faced slander, but it'll be remembered for hundreds of years, for centuries later. We're still talking about it today. And the point is, listen to hesitation when you're afraid. In hesitation, you might be getting information that that's exactly where you should go. When it feels scary to jump, that is exactly when you should jump. Otherwise, you end up staying in the same place your whole life. And that we cannot do if we're going to be a part of God's plan. It takes courage to change, courage to focus on where you need to grow. You can't be a coward when it comes to doing the right thing, taking on the character of Jesus. In order for his immeasurable power to work through you, you must take courage. You know, myself, two weeks ago, I felt like a failure. I, I'd received a lot of criticism from different sources, you know, just a, a good, honest D-time. But in that, my own self-doubt spiraled, and my character and effectiveness were both called into question, probably mostly by myself being my largest critic. And cowardice crept in, doubt crept in, saying things like, maybe I'm not the man for the job. Perhaps the task is too great. I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I won't live up to these expectations. And every disciple faces these questions as we grow, we fail and we pray and we fail and we pray and we hopefully take on more and more of Christ's character growing in him. But when I was at that point, I didn't believe in myself very much. All that I had was looking at Ephesians 1 and believing in the God who is working through me in the hope of my calling. For you, you may not believe in yourself very much, but do you believe that God can work through you if he truly is God? See, I still need God to mold me and to humble me. When I'm, <laughs> when I'm prideful, that'll kill God's plan and that'll kill my discipleship. But if you're humble, you can allow God to mold you and others to mold you.
to get better rather than getting bitter. I'm not yet who I need to be to fulfill God's mission in Central Oregon. I need a lot of help. I need to submit to His plan and become who He needs me to be, enacting out that plan by His grace. You know, nothing in life is worthwhile unless you take risks. Nelson Mandela once said, There is no passion to be found in playing small, settling for a life that's less than the one you're capable of living. Every disciple here today has the power, the means of equipping to succeed in the church's mission. But do you have the humility and the guts to fail and to get back up again for Christ? If you don't fail, my discipler once told me, you're not even trying. I got to remember that. Just projecting forward, imagine being on your deathbed. And standing around your bed are the ghosts of the calling, the mission, the equipping, the gifts, and the blessings given to you by God. That's everything Ephesians 1 is talking about. And that you, for whatever reason, you never acted on your calling. You never pursued the mission. You never used the equipping. We never saw your gifts. Your blessings did not go to bless others. You never listened to the Spirit's voice. You never shared his book. And there they are, these, these ghosts, standing around your bed, looking at you with large, angry eyes, saying, We came to you, and only you could have given us life. Now we must die with you forever. The question is, if you die today, what calling, what mission, what equipping, what gifts, what blessings would die with you? Don't die in the land of shoulda, woulda, coulda. We all have the capacity and the empowering to know God, to be on his team, the church, to fulfill his mission. It doesn't mean we all want to know God. It doesn't mean that we want to realize God's dream for our life, but we do have the capacity. We have to choose to change, to walk with God in a worthy manner, to fill your heart with the word and power of God, you can finish the work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Are you willing to sacrifice who you are for who you could become? So what does God intend for us to do by his authority with all his great power towards us who believe and to the church? Well, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Two years into our church planting, failing, learning, growing. Man, in, in that process, by God's grace and authority, Remember that when we gather together, it's Jesus who is the head of this body. All authority given to him so that we may go and make disciples by his plan. He will be with us always. That should give us courage. That should give us a great missionary confidence. And that is Paul's prayer that we may know him better, know his authority and power working within us to complete his plan. And to God 
be the glory.